1: just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. That's pork porkbun p o r k b u n dot com forward slash rocketship fm twenty four. You'll save a dollar on your next domain.
0: Michael, can you believe that this is the 10th season of Rocketship.fm?
1: Honestly, I I really can't, right? We've produced over 450 episodes in the last few years. Back in season one, well, I don't know, we weren't even thinking of it as season one. We were
0: just producing episode after episode. Yeah, and looking back, I mean rocket ship's gone in a number of different directions with seasons we've had seasons on product journeys most recently uh, product failures before that yes we've even done a deep dive into understanding
1: more about the personal journeys that people are enduring in product like when we gave a microphone to a handful of product people for literally months and we just recorded and tagged along for their journeys
0: yeah heck we even took a bit of a diversion and focused on my hometown of cleveland ohio Is it sought to become the blockchain capital of the world? (laughs) Uh, Whatever happened to that? Let's just say it's a good thing that we only did one season on that one. Uh, anyway, we're now on to season 10. And as always, we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. This time, you, the listener, are going to be at the heart of every episode.
1: That's right. This season is all about workplace confessionals. That awkward moment, the horror stories, the sticky situations where you may need some advice. Right. We'll be taking your
0: confessions and dissecting them a bit. Yes, together and also with various friends of Rocket Chip. So sit back. Buckle up because it's about to get a little weird this season on rocketship.fm.
1: Welcome to
0: rocketship.fm. RocketShip FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts Michael Saka and Mike Belcito. Okay, Michael, are you ready to hear some confessions?
1: Oh, I'm definitely ready. Let's let's get right into it.
0: All right. Well. This first confession, it's coming from a, a director of product at a consumer tech company in the Midwest. And yeah, we should say we want you to really share some juicy stories. So we're not sharing your personal identity. Uh, so don't worry, your secret is safe with us. Uh, instead, we've actually hired voice actors to portray your stories. And so this first story, which we're calling uh, Our Needy Customer, um, well, here it
2: is. Here it is. I've been a director of product at our company for the past three years. It's been really rewarding, and I've had the chance to work with some amazing people. My biggest challenge at the moment, however, is how to properly manage things with one of our biggest customers. This particular customer was one of our earliest customers, and to be fair, they're a big deal to us. While they're not our largest customer by revenue anymore, they were when they first came on board, And they're on our customer advisory board, which I manage. They're the customer that we often refer others to. We blast their logo on all sorts of sales materials touting the relationship. Their company is a flashy name, so to speak. So having them as a flagship customer definitely means something. Sometimes though, it seems as though they view themselves as being much more than a truly valued customer. It's not unusual for them to make very specific small product tweak requests. In the very beginning, before my time, we'd bend over backwards to try to accommodate them. But as we grew, we stopped doing that as much as we had so many other customers making requests and honestly, we all knew that it really wasn't the right thing to do. Even still today, I just got an email from this customer that was really critical about our company's commitment to continuing to develop our product as the changes we've recently made weren't to their liking. They cited how they've shared in customer advisory board meetings what was really important to them and that we're now ignoring their advice. In truth, they have brought up certain feature requests that we're not moving forward with, but we've made those decisions because this particular customer is one of the only ones that had been particularly vocal about that request. And it just doesn't fit with our long-term strategies for the product. I've actually explained our future product roadmap both in a customer advisory board meeting and to this customer directly, but it feels as if it's falling on deaf ears. This last email concerns me, and I've shared it with my boss and the CEO, who actually was the person who originally closed the deal with this customer in the first place. On one hand, I feel like how we've handled the situation is right, as does my boss, but I certainly don't want to be seen as the person who's responsible for us losing our landmark customer, How should we handle customers who feel like they have way more say over product decisions? How can we help these customers understand that we may not always do as they ask without, of course, souring the relationship? I don't even know if you're looking to answer questions like this, and if not, consider this my confession to vent. But at this point, I'm open to any ideas.
1: Okay. So there's definitely a lot to unpack here. Well, today we have somebody who Rocket Chip listeners should be very familiar with by now. You've actually heard him a few times in the past. In fact, he's made cameos on each of the past two seasons. That's Ben Foster, the founder
0: of Prodify, chief product officer at Whoop
1: and co-author of the book, Build What
0: Matters. So Ben, when you first saw this, what, what, crossed, you, what crossed your mind? Have you, ever, have you ever experienced anything like this before?
3: Yeah, you know, I have run into this situation a bunch of times. In fact, I'm trying to think of times from my career when I didn't have customers that, uh, you know, kind of like uh, match this uh, this archetype, if you will. Um, but uh, but I think that th- there's a couple interesting things that, that stand out to me. I'd say number one is that the customer seems to perceive that this is somehow their product or that they have some sort of like a reason that they should be able to control the product roadmap. And and in reality, there's just no way that that's the case. Like, you know, as the product manager, you're the one responsible for getting product market fit. And there's a reason that it's called product market fit, not product solution fit or customer, you know, uh, product fit and things like that. So, um, you know, you've got to make sure that it's the right product for the market going forward. Um, What's interesting about this particular situation though, is it seems like there is some value that's being exchanged from both parties um, independent of you know whether they're actually taking the product in a good direction. and and it's worth at least considering, I would say, whether that value exchange is worthwhile. You know there's a quid pro quo, which is they want to be able to give you some sort of guidance on, the roadmap or ask for a few kind of like minor product tweaks and as long as they're minor and they're not kind of like things that you would need to as a product manager uh, maintaining the simplicity of the project uh, you know to completely veto then it may actually be worth saying yes to some of these kinds of things because of the marketing value that you're gonna get from having this really you know valuable logo that's there that that's something that's gonna help you to go win future business and sometimes the reality is it's not just your product and the features and the capabilities but also the reference accounts and things like that depending on the market that may actually be the biggest growth lever for you as a as a as a business, and so you, I think you, it's okay if you acknowledge it but you've got to account for it that way as well. So if you were gonna take that approach, you might want to say, hey, whatever development work we're doing for this particular customer should not be coming at the expense of other development work that we can do. Like maybe we staff for this independently uh, and we bill this back to the customer or we bill it back to the marketing department if we need to, you know, for that work that's happening, as long as again, the product complexity isn't getting taken out of
0: control. It's almost as if, this has been uh, something that's happening that they've just avoided and it's like nobody's talking about it everybody's sort of dancing around it but but let's be open about it let's actually like call this what it is and then we might be able to be productive
1: it sounds like we're kind of on the same page with the CEO but not really aligned in the fact that they still felt like that they were um they would be taking the burden of firing this customer potentially by pushing back but really
0: the ceo should be aligned in that decision ben what i was gonna ask you i was curious about if they had left out the part of this being this big landmark customer let's just say it was a a good sized customer you know but not Mm -hmm. there's not the history there there's not the you know the ceo closed them as the first customer would your advice uh change
3: Hmm, it's a great question. Um, I think it might a little bit, right? You know, there there is some sort of like, you know, relationship that's been built up between the two parties. And, you know, each one of you has maybe done some, you know, service for the other one and helping them to get to where they are right now. Um, I think that's, that's all, you know, worthy of acknowledgement. And I think that there's, there's something that can be really powerful there where, um, you know, they could help you in, in future ways that maybe just a large customer who didn't have this kind of relationship with you might not be willing to, to help you, right. You know, in terms of being those reference accounts and, and and things along those lines, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's your job as a product manager to not look in the direction of the past, but to look in the direction of the future. And, you know, when you think about the direction of the future, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, is this customer going to help us to achieve what we need to achieve? down the road. And if the answer is yes, then great, you know, invest in that relationship. And if the answer is no, they're actually kind of like holding us back in some ways, then, you know, you might look for interesting ways in which you can continue to have a good solid business relationship, but don't have it be one where, you know, it will not be a valid excuse later to say, The reason we lost product market fit or the reason we got leapfrogged by some competitor is because we were doing all of these things for this one-off customer. Like that's still a failure at the end of the day. And you've got to make sure as a product person that you're not allowing that to happen.
0: All right, we're going to pause right here and we're gonna hear a word from our
1: sponsors. Dot com. That's business.att.com.
0: Before the break, we heard one workplace confession about that self-important customer that they thought they had a little more pull than they actually had.
1: Yes, and now we're going to hear about a completely different situation, but it's another tricky one. And again, we have hired a voice actor to play the situation out of bit. We're calling this one Roadmap Hell.
4: I took on the role of product manager at my company about three months ago. For context, we're a young three-year-old growing B2B SaaS company with about 150 employees, half of which was probably hired in the last year alone. Our product team is small. There are three of us product managers that report up to a VP. We're all responsible for certain aspects of the product and we each work with our own respective team of designers, developers. But our team is expected to grow as the company continues to grow And given that we just closed a $10 million round of funding, that growth should be coming quickly. Our VP of product unexpectedly left two weeks ago, and our CEO is set on not hiring anybody until the new year. Yet we're in the midst of 2021 product planning, and I've been asked to lead the rest of the team in the process. Here's the problem. My PM team and I feel like we have a good enough handle on things to share a true product strategy and create a roadmap based on that strategy. But our CEO, who doesn't have a product background, but is very adept at sales and marketing, wants something very specific with timelines. This has always been a point of contention in the past with the CEO and our VP. And I believe that may have been a reason why he left, although he didn't say that. Last year, our VP was adamant that we shouldn't be setting dates in our roadmap, but the CEO was adamant that the board needed to see these dates. Ultimately, our VP decided to fall on his sword and create a roadmap with clear deliverable dates. We did hit those dates, but many times it required all-nighters and stretching ourselves so thin, simply for hitting these arbitrary milestones that weren't really tied to anything specific. We simply were pushed to hit these dates because these were the dates we were all committed to. Of course, when we set those dates in the first place, we have very little information to go off of, but we're forced to come up with something. So now I am being put in the same position our VP was in. I feel very comfortable with setting dates for what we're about to start, as long as we have a lot more information from our customers and our designer developers have a great handle on what needs to be done. But beyond the next 60 to 90 days, I have a problem with setting specific delivery dates. We don't have enough information on what will actually need to be built. And honestly, so much changes with our market that I'm not quite sure what we think we need to deliver in nine months will even be viable. I don't get paid enough to have the kind of toe-to-toe war RVP had with our CEO last year. Kidding, but not really. And ultimately RVP lost that battle. So what do I do? Do we create that roadmap and set specific arbitrary delivery dates, knowing that so much will change and we'll be forced to hit those dates? Or is there any hope for convincing our sales-minded strategy that the board doesn't actually need a roadmap with a year's worth of delivery dates? Please help.
1: Okay, this is this is a rough situation.
0: Yes, but again, I've been here uh, as a product person. I, I know it's not necessarily the right thing to have a timed roadmap in all cases, but, but sometimes it just feels like there's not a great way around it. Yeah,
1: well, let's bring in Ben Foster for his take on this.
3: Yeah, uh, you know it is a painful one. Um, <laughs> There's a reason it's called a roadmap hell. Uh, we all run into this as well. Um, here's what I would think. Uh, I gotta say, I actually kind of understand where the CEO is coming from on this, and I know that you know <laughs> half the listeners on this uh, are gonna probably they're saying boo, boo, yeah, I know, I know, boo. Um, but here's why, right? Like, I mean, you know, here, here's the thing, right? other teams think of it from, from this perspective, like the sales team has to sign up for quotas that they're going to hit. They don't know exactly which accounts they are going to close and exactly which accounts they are not going to close. And it's actually an even bigger deal for them because their livelihoods are on the, on the line, right? Like they're not just going to get a hand slap if the roadmap doesn't get hit, like they will get fired pure and simple. And so, you know, the reality is like marketing has to sign up for these things. Sales have to sign up for these things. And somehow in the world of like, agile product development theory and things like that we kind of got away with for this period like uh no we didn't we don't have to like commit to anything we'll just work on the right stuff at the right time well like what in your personal life would you ever be willing to kind of like let some sort of like contractor or whatever do that way you know you're going to get a house built for you and you're like well when's it going (laughs) to be done they're like i don't know i'm just going to work on the right stuff (laughs) until it's done like I, would, I wouldn't work with you, you know, so I'm going to find somebody else who is willing to commit to that. So, like, I, I at least get where the CEO is coming from on this. But yes, there are a lot of reasons you may not be able to actually hit those dates. And I think this is where the rubber hits the road, right? Like engineering could take longer than expected. Uh, You could learn through validation that something you thought was a good idea was actually a bad idea. Uh, You could change your mind between now and then about the priorities and decide to just work on something completely different for, you know, some new reason that pops up that you didn't expect. How many roadmaps were there were dates for that got thrown completely out the window when COVID hit, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. You know and and rightfully so so i think it's okay that there are plans as long as you're really clear about how those plans can and cannot be used so a couple suggestions here i'd say one of them is get crafty with the presentation a little bit like it's okay to maybe have like dates but have those dates be a little bit looser so instead of a specific date you you know indicate a month instead of a specific month you indicate a particular quarter in which is going to get done um and then what is it that's actually going to get done? Maybe you can be a little bit more loose with what the definition of completeness for a particular product is. So you can say, hey, we're going to solve this problem or here's the theme of things that we're going to be working on and we're going to deliver some sort of solution along these lines. Um, but the details are sort of like yet to be worked out. And then that way you're getting kind of like the advantage of, both stating something for the record about what you're gonna deliver and being able to kind of like tie that to business outcomes maybe at the end of the day, but not sort of like tying your hands so much that you don't really get the benefits of agile development, you know, along along that path. So that's one thing. And then the second thing that I would do is I think that there's an opportunity here to have the right discussion with the CEO to, to realize that the CEO needs to commit something back to you in return. And this is like the most important part. So say it directly, like the only way that I can guarantee that we deliver X is to lock it in no matter what the research shows. Is that what you want to do? Are you saying that this is a thing that we're going to deliver no matter what, even if we do the research and our homework and we learn from customers that this is not in fact what they want, that you still want me to hit the state anyway? And like, you know, obviously it's kind of like a rhetorical question, but you know, rather than you just saying flat out, no, you're kind of like putting the the ball back in the CEO's court, you know, or you can say, are you committed to not adding anything new to this roadmap for the next year? If I commit to all these dates, these are things that I think we might be able to hit, um, you know, and that would be nice if we could. But the way that we would be able to hit those is if we have complete loss of flexibility to change our minds or add anything new. And so, you know, is that the kind of like way that you want to run this company in such a way that we sort of like are very definitive about what we're going to go work on but we lose that level of flexibility. That's a trade-off and that's a CEO level trade-off. Where do you want to be on the spectrum? right? So those are the kinds of questions that I think you can ask and the kinds of conversations you can have that are like constructive without just sort of like saying you know either yes or no, I'm either gonna you know stand my ground and refuse to like you know, submit dates and probably find yourself the same place in two weeks as the uh, last vp of product um you know or you can say yes to all these dates and then you're you know you're the one who's on the hook because you never really clarified what the uh what the complications of doing that would be
0: i love the concept of talking about trade-offs because the ceo is constantly thinking about like well we could be doing x or y and it's like hey look that we could commit to all of these things and even guarantee it but what that means is that six months down the road when we get new information and there's something else we all get excited about we can't do it so let's at least can we agree that if that situation were to happen we something would fall off like we agree that that can happen right it's like the more but the more that you can get the CEO to maybe agree that okay there might I this might not be set in stone completely because there there could be new information that comes. It might be in the form of competitive information or or what have you. Um, so I, I like I think that might actually be really helpful in the conversation with the CEO. Yeah, I have
1: a, a feeling the C the board is is a crutch here for the CEO, <laughs> and I think it's the CEO that wants the dates.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. Uh, you know, I, w- I would say that where I've seen the board get involved on this though sometimes is not so much about the delivery of of dates for Mm -hmm. particular kind of features. They don't care about the features. They don't even understand how the product works or what it is half the time, right? You know, I think that what they care about is the business outcomes that are gonna be derived from the money that they're dumping in. They're like, hey, I know exactly how much money I'm spending on R and D here what am i going to get out in terms of business outcomes and so the the reason that the ceo is probably looking for this i think at least in my experience is you know one in which you're sort of saying okay well i know that these are the business outcomes or at least i expect that these are going to be the business outcomes of launching this new feature maybe it opens up a new market Mm -hmm. to us maybe it closes a few you know specific accounts etc so when is that going to happen it's really the question of like when are we going to see these outcomes rather than the specific output from the individual teams
1: also sounds like this person is being potentially I know they're filling a gap, but they have a potential to move up here or or at least play a bigger role within the organization if they're willing to kind of step up. But with stepping up means putting your name on the line um, and taking on that responsibility. So they could also see this as an opportunity um, if they want.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why the CEO chose this person to lead the process versus the other people on the yeah. team. So I think it's, it's great to want to try to tackle this as a challenge, um, but yeah, it sounds like it's probably not a challenge they've had to go through before. Yeah. You know, in terms, you know, it's like maybe before they were the roadmap is handed down, or we had a role in the process, and now let's execute. Now, now you're kind of learning that the the, <laughs> the grass is not so greener on that VP side. <laughs> uh, but but it, it, it could actually it could be an awesome situation. I hope that they're able to work it out, and uh, yeah, hope that they're able to get on the same page with the CEO. Th- that that's one thing's for sure: they do need to get on the same page, um, and not not just sort of avoid this issue. Yeah. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
1: The first two workplace confessionals of season 10 are in the books. And we figured at the end of each episode, we could sort of recap things a bit. Mike and I will share what we learned from the confession and our guest take on the situation. One big takeaway. So we can leave you with something a little more actionable, right? Something you could use in your own life. So what do you think, Mike? What did you learn today?
0: It's that we should remember that our work isn't us. Uh, These are two separate things. It's important to create some separation. In the very first confession, the needy customer, you heard the person making the confession. They made a comment that he or she, uh, they they didn't want to be responsible for the company losing this landmark customer. But this is a product person. I mean, no matter what happens, and I'm talking to you, whoever you are out (laughs) there that made this confession, it's not your fault. It's not on you. If you're doing what you think is right for the company, customers will come and go and and that's okay. It's going to happen, but you shouldn't take that burden on personally. That's
1: a really good one,
0: right? And, and yes, so often we each take
1: on so much of our work that our work almost becomes us. Things can feel very personal. And hey, it's a good thing that we take our work so seriously, but there's a fine line between taking work seriously and feeling over responsible for things that are really out of our hands.
0: All right, Michael. So what is your big takeaway? Like?
1: I'm going to go with something from the roadmap hell confession. And that's in the world of product, it's all about trade offs. Take a product roadmap, for example. We can set that roadmap in stone, but there's a cost to doing so. It means that we won't be able to add anything to the roadmap, even if we get new information that suggests we should. And of course, that is the product manager's job is to collect that information and make sure that we're always working on the highest priority item. And if we do decide that something new is so important and it should get added to the roadmap several months in, guess what? something's got to give something we were planning to build will now fall to the wayside again a trade-off right and by the way if something does fall to the wayside that's that's okay so long as your team decides it's the right thing to do but we should all be mindful of the fact that we're dealing with constant trade-offs and be on the same page about that the product team the executive team heck even the board in this case.
0: Yeah, trade-offs don't seem like a great thing because, you know, it implies that you're giving something up. But in the world of product, it's a part of doing business. It's just the reality we live in. Well, that about wraps things up
1: for today. We sure hope you enjoyed episode one of this new season, Workplace Confessionals. If you did, tell a friend, forward it on. It'll be a big help to help us get
0: the word out. Yes, for sure. And a big thanks goes to Ben Foster for helping talk these through with us today. And if you like what you heard from Ben, we definitely encourage you to check out his book, Build What Matters. You'll learn a lot, that's for sure. And we want your
1: workplace confessionals, whether they're awkward situations, horror stories, situations you just need advice on, let's hear them. Just email us at team at rocketship.fm. That's team at rocketship.fm.